Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles, the Bible you brought with you, the Bible that's there in the pew, to Luke chapter 8, the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. If you have a phone or a tablet, you can go to gracefamily.info. Gracefamily.info will take you right to our Scripture. You're going to Luke chapter 8, looking for verse 22. Now, as we go through life, we receive all kinds of stuff for different reasons. I mean, we receive advice, free samples, hand-me-downs, gifts for various occasions, birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, what have you. But there are some things in life that we are given for a specific purpose. They're given in anticipation of a time of an unforeseen need. We might be given a fire extinguisher. We might be given an emergency flashlight. We might be given a pair of jumper cables. These are all things your parents would give you, by the way. We might be given a first aid kit. You get the idea where I'm going here. Now, I don't know about you, um, but when it comes to these kind of gifts, I have a really bad habit of undervaluing them. Gee, thanks for the fire extinguisher, Mom. Yeah. I end up putting them aside without any thought. You know, I don't really think about it. And then later, when I suddenly would benefit from one of these gifts, you know, the ability to have light in the dark, a quick way to put out a fire, the means to restart my car, the ability to clean and bandage a wound, I cannot find them. When I most need them, such gifts have become misplaced or lost to me. And the same can be true of our faith. Faith can be one of those things that we take for granted when things around us are going well. Feeling like we're in control, everything's fine, faith can become something we put aside as non-essential. But then, when we suddenly find ourselves, I don't know, say in a global pandemic, or dealing with an economic crisis, or facing rising polarization within our circles of community, and we reach for our faith, it can appear lost, or at best, misplaced. Why is it? Why is it when faith is needed most, it tends to be so difficult for us to find? When we confront the unforeseen, the unexpected, the unknown, where is our faith? This is the very question Jesus will ask his disciples in today's passage from the Gospel of Luke. Today's passage about an unexpected storm and a near shipwreck. It's actually recorded in three out of the four gospel accounts. And while there's a few minor variations in how this event is remembered by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's basically the same story. But as your eyes are either in your Bible or on the screen, we're going to hear today how Luke remembers it. So here it is from Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, 
Who is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's just another day at the office for Jesus. According to the Gospel of Mark's version of this story, it's been a full day for Jesus of preaching and teaching before the crowds. And it's Mark, not Luke, who tells us the time of day when Jesus and the disciples set sail. As the sun goes down and the night sky rises, Jesus tells his followers to pick up their gear and get into the boat so they can shove off and make their way across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now in the years following Jesus throughout the region of Galilee, you have to imagine the disciples have crossed these waters going back and forth countless times. And especially if we think about the seasoned fishermen among them, in case you forgot, the two teams of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John, Sailing along the Sea of Galilee had been their stock and trade, the livelihood of their family for generations, long before Jesus called them to leave their nets behind to follow him. These relatively new disciples may not have known much yet about the kingdom of God, but as fishermen, they knew the sea. And all is well. It looks like smooth sailing ahead. But then again, we can't always predict the weather which way the winds will blow. Now, as I mentioned earlier, not to brag, but I just got back, as I said, from leading a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And every time I go, I will say this, a treasured part of that experience is the opportunity to sail. In this case, it was an afternoon sail on the very same waters upon which Jesus and his disciples journeyed that day. In fact, I have a picture, I think we're going to flash on the screen, of me on the Sea of Galilee. There I am, and there it is, the Sea of Galilee. Don't I look so chill and calm? And when you're on the Sea of Galilee, when you're on the Sea of Galilee, everything about its surface, its surrounding area is so serene and calm, it can be hard to imagine how a storm as severe as described here could take place on its waters. But here's the thing. Set in the hills of northern Israel, the Sea of Galilee is actually nearly 700 feet below sea level nearly eight miles wide at its widest point and more than 12 miles from north to south, there are places where the Sea of Galilee plunges to depths of 200 feet. And surrounding the sea are the hills of Galilee, reaching nearly 1,400 feet above sea level and the mountains of the Golan Heights that reach more than 2,500 feet above sea level. And you see, the rivers running into the Sea of Galilee have cut great ravines through this tableland. And these ravines, if you will, act like huge funnels for the cold winds coming down from the hills and the mountains. So when those cooler east winds suddenly drop over the warm air that covers the sea, the cold air being heavier than the warm air that's rising, this sudden change can produce surprisingly furious squalls, winds and waves that rip and tear at any boats on the water with only a moment's notice. In fact, when I was in Israel this last time, a couple of weeks before I got there, they had had one of these storms, and several of the hotels that pride themselves on being on the water had been flooded out because of it. And in fact, one of the places you can go to is a place called the Church of the Primacy of Peter. It's the place where Jesus had that uh, barbecue uh, breakfast where he reconciled with Peter, and you have this opportunity. It's one of these great places where you can actually go onto the water, and it was fenced off because the water had come up almost to the point of the church that's there. So it can get pretty crazy pretty fast. Now that day on the Sea of Galilee, for Jesus and his disciples, based on the three accounts we have, no one exactly remembers when the water started rising. 
when a little rain and some waves turned into a pounding storm and a couple of breakers. No one actually witnessed a few clouds of white over the night sky become a blooming mass of gray blocking out the stars. Like it always does on the Sea of Galilee, it just happened. Like it often does in life, the weather changes so quickly. One moment you look up, you look around, and you're taking in the bright blue of the sky and basking in the warmth of the sun. Then suddenly in the next moment, those friendly clouds begin to conspire against you and turn out the light to dampen your mood with annoying drops that soon shift into jolting buckets of rain. Everything started so well, and then just like that, just like the disciples, we can find ourselves caught in an unexpected storm. As the winds toss and turn us, as the waves get bigger and higher, we find ourselves overwhelmed, starting to feel swamped, believing we might actually drown, that we might not make it out of this one alive. It doesn't take much to turn our perfect worlds upside down. We don't always see it coming when our little slice of heaven gets swallowed up by one great big deluge of hell on earth. We all know this story. We all know this story because this is not just a story about changing weather and a boat trip. We all know this story because this is a story about the fragility and unpredictability of life, the life we share. The interesting thing about storms is they can leave such a huge impact on our lives, right? We always remember. We never forget, especially if we were in them, the big storms. I mean, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Ida, Winter Storm Uri, those devastating tornadoes and floods that have been ripping through the Midwest over these last few years. We never expected these storms. Their descent, their magnitude shocked and surprised us all. That's why they made headlines. And we will never forget them. And the storms we experience in life are much the same. We always remember them, don't we? We never forget that unexpected phone call or voicemail message. That surprising text or email or letter, that notice, that news in whatever form it took that we never anticipated that turn of events that just came crashing down on us, that radically shifted all of our plans, that suddenly changed everything. And when the weather changes like that, it's easy to be afraid. When the very foundation of our lives is shaken, panic and fear can overtake us. They can take hold of us. Because it's in the eye of the storm It's always in the eye of the storm that we confront a plain and simple truth that we otherwise deny. An undeniable fact that sits before us no matter what the weather around us looks like. And that fact is this, that we are not in control. Sunny skies or stormy, calm waters or raging seas, it makes no difference. The truth is, we are always out of our depth when it comes to navigating this life. The disciples, the disciples, they knew how to build and steer a boat. The disciples had learned, again, it was in their family for generations, how to find and catch fish. So these big, burly, seasoned, tough guys thought they were in control. 
They thought they knew how to navigate their way across the water, to harness the wind and the waves. And yet, when the weather pulled back the curtain, it showed them just how fragile, just how beyond their control things really were, just how dangerous life can be. And then they were afraid. Now, depending on how you look at it, and I don't know how you look at it, it's either inspiring or disturbing that Jesus sleeps through all of this. I mean, clearly the disciples find it troubling as they shake Jesus from his slumber with their desperate plea, Master, Master, we are going to drown. And notice, by the way, they include Jesus in their prediction of certain and impending death. We are going to drown. But Jesus who's in the same boat and the same storm as the disciples, Jesus who is surrounded by the same waters as the disciples, who's being blown about by the same wind and beaten by the same waves, Jesus has a decidedly different response to all that is happening around them. I mean, while the disciples rush around in a panic of activity, Jesus remains at peace. While the threatening storm rages all around him, Jesus slumbers. Jesus is still knowing that he is God. And then notice, as he's awakened from his slumber, Jesus immediately confers the deep calm of his sleep, his own sense of stillness upon the elements. Rebuking the wind and the raging waters, Jesus turns the tide, bringing a peace that passes all understanding. Noisy chaos is suddenly and dramatically eclipsed by absolute and deafening silence. All is calm. All is bright. Imagine that. Imagine downshifting from hearing everything. So loud, so fierce, the yawning, threatening sound of your life coming apart at the seams. And then suddenly straining your ears to hear anything at all and picking up nothing, not even a whisper. Sometimes one of the most trying experiences about going through a storm is the stillness of its aftermath. In the silence when it's just you and God. I mean, ask Jonah, right? Talk to Job. Have a word with Elijah. You want the Lord's full and undivided attention, and you get it. And then some. The disciples woke up Jesus, pointing to what was going on outside of them. But now, having silenced the storm, Jesus turns and seeks to wake up the disciples as he points to what's going on, not outside, but inside of them. To what is missing as he asks, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Our tendency is to hear Christ's words here as a rebuke of his disciples. But far from it. To better appreciate what Jesus is doing here, a quick reminder is in order about the biblical understanding of faith. Contrary to how we talk about it and even try to exercise it, the Bible presents faith as a gift Biblically, faith is not something we muster up from within ourselves by the strength of what we believe or by our will to power. No, 
Faith is something that is given to us. Before we look to or love God, the Bible is clear. God sees and loves us. Before we believe and put our life in Christ's hands, Jesus believes in us and comes down to put his life in our hands. God comes to us in Christ and gives us his spirit so that we can believe, so that we can be transformed, so that we are able to follow Jesus as he leads and carries us from a world marked by evil, sin, and death into a renewed, remade creation of eternal forgiveness. Unconditional goodness and everlasting life. So when Jesus asks, where is your faith? It's not a scolding he's giving his disciples. It's a reorienting question. Hearing this question, where is your faith? The disciples immediately would think, our faith is in you, Jesus. You are the basis. You are the source of any faith that we have, Lord. But what Jesus is revealing to them through this question is how their fear actually ended up causing them to lose sight of, to misplace, to forget the faith they had been given. And the most compelling evidence of this is witnessed in the fact, did you catch this? Even once the weather changes, the emotional state of the disciples does not. The disciples go from being deathly afraid in the eye of the storm to being absolutely terrified in the absolute stillness that Jesus provides. And we can't miss the irony in this. I mean, the disciples rightly call Jesus Master, Lord. In waking him up, the disciples correctly turn to Jesus to save them. And yet, when the storm disappears, the disciples are still in fear and amazement by Jesus' ability to actually bring about their salvation. Hence, Jesus reflects back to them, where is your faith? In other words, while the disciples eventually turned to Jesus, they did so as a last-ditch effort in order to be rescued from the threat of the storm. But from start to finish, they never really put their trust in Christ. To put this another way, if faith is a gift, if Jesus is the source and object of any faith we have, then the disciples never exercised the faith they had been given, faith that comes from the very fact that Jesus was with them, that Christ was leading and going before them. After all, whose idea was it to get into the boat in the first place? By whose initiative did they head out on these waters? Go back and read all three gospel accounts, and the answer is clear. It's Jesus who says, let's go across to the other side. So again, another way to hear Jesus when he asks, where is your faith, is as a reminder to his disciples. Whose idea was it anyway to get in this boat, to take this trip, to cross over to the other side? Mine. If I initiate this journey, if I'm leading you across to the other side, if I'm with you every step of the way, then why are you catering to your fear rather than living out of your faith? Trusting me. Whether they realize it or not, and clearly they don't, Jesus' actions haven't been so much about calming the storm as they have been about calming down his disciples. For Jesus being asleep 
while the disciples are preparing to abandon ship, reveals that the greater storm, the real threat, is not the wind and the waves and the waters around us. The greater storm is always the one that churns and rages inside of us. The real and more damaging threat before us is not the circumstances in which we find ourselves. It is the fear within us. Where is your faith? How easily we can become captive to our fears and lose sight of, even forget the presence and power of Jesus in our lives. What are we so afraid of? What are we so afraid of? Do we fear the unknown and the uncertainty of what lies ahead, of what might happen? What could be waiting for us on the other side of this journey? Do we fear change? Are we so comfortable, so used to our established understanding of how the world works and what our place is in the established order that when the wind changes, when it feels like our boat's going to be upended, that we might have to abandon all our cargo, all our stuff, are we afraid of the loss? Of losing what is dear to us? Are we afraid of being exposed of becoming vulnerable, of finding ourselves powerless before the rising waves of criticism and the winds of passing judgment? Do we feel abandoned? That no one seems to care that we're drowning here? Are we, even though we are people of the cross and the tomb, are we still afraid of the possibility, the inevitability of death? Does our faith become eclipsed by our fear because we have no direct knowledge? I mean, we believe, but then again, we don't know for sure what's on the other side. It doesn't take much for us to get overwhelmed by the winds and waves of change. We face constant reminders in our relationships, at our work, with our family, with our finances, our health, whatever it is, constant reminders that we are not in control. But God comes down to us in Christ. Jesus shows up in our lives, makes his presence known, exercises his power among us to give us faith. Not only a reason to believe in the midst of all the chaos and confusion, but someone in whom we can look to, someone we can follow, someone we can trust in the eye of the storm. Because Jesus isn't just asking us to close our eyes and cross our fingers that he's with and for us. God comes down to us in Christ to give us the faith in both his presence and his power to deal with anything and everything that happens in our lives and in all creation. Where is your faith? The disciples got into the boat. The disciples followed Jesus onto the water. But what becomes apparent when the wind picks up, when the rain begins to fall, when the waves started growing higher and higher, is the disciples did not exercise the faith they had been given, placing their trust in Jesus. And my friends, when we're baptized in Christ, we all get into the same boat with Jesus. We all get into the same boat with Jesus. And like the disciples, we can call Jesus Lord. We can profess. That's why you're here, to be following Christ. 
but in the practicality of our daily lives, especially when the going gets rough, as the storms come in the most important decisions of our lives, do we exercise the faith Jesus gives to us, trusting Jesus enough to rely on him, on Christ's presence and power? Because understand, trusting Jesus is more than just taking steps into the boat. It's about making the choice daily to place the full weight of our lives behind the steps we take in following Christ. Trusting Jesus means exercising the faith Christ gives us to face, but not give in to our fears. To keep our focus on Jesus, even as the weather changes and the sailing gets rough. And to place, not hold on to, to place those fears. Fear is valid. Fear is real. But to place those fears in Jesus' hands. Trusting Jesus is more than knowing or even saying that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. It is consciously, intentionally, and regularly looking to and relying on Christ with each decision we make, with every action we take, not as an afterthought, but as the first thought we have. (laughs) Preaching. It's an interesting gig, you know? It's very easy to come up here and to tell you this is the word of the Lord. But the challenge of preaching, if you if you not not I've never said this before, is again, it's very easy to preach at people, and I certainly hope I don't do that. Please don't tell me if you think I do, I don't want to know. Um, (laughs) But the challenge in preaching to not preach at people is to be the first person to hear the word that God is giving you to say. And that is why it is hard to get up here week after week after week. Because you can fake it, but it won't won't last long. And so you have to sit with it before you say it. And and I've tried in different moments before and I'm gonna do it again, I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, (laughs) I'm gonna be honest with you because if I'm not, my wife's gonna run in here and be honest with you. (laughs) On my own, on my own, I don't often go out of my comfort zone. I don't often go out of my way of seeing and doing things. I don't journey out that far because in truth for me, the other side is a scary place and the journey to get there is actually even more fearful. Going to the other side means I'm not in charge. It means I'm not in my element and I like being in my element. It means I'm not in control, and I like being in control or thinking that I'm in control. Following Jesus to the other side means I've got to submit my will to his. Oh, I can talk all about what I believe. I can talk all about how I follow Jesus. But push comes to shove when Jesus says, your will or mine. And I go, well, couldn't we meet somewhere in the middle? How about, how about my will this time and your will next time? How about we talk some more about this? How about we delay this conversation? We just keep going and we talk about your will or my will later. Do you have these conversations with the Lord? I do. Following Jesus to the other side means I've got to submit my will to his. I have to be ready for the unexpected. Maybe even something unwanted. 
Trusting Jesus means I have to put my life in his hands. I have to be ready to die. I have to be ready to die to myself. I'll be honest with you. We talk about death. I actually, maybe because it's not in front of me, I don't fear my physical death as much as I fear dying to myself. That terrifies me. Because good, bad, or ugly, I know me, the one I've lived with all my life. I don't know who I'll become. I know what Jesus promises, but I don't know what that actually looks like. Die to myself? No, thank you. Yes, I've got some, some things, some things that aren't great, but at least I know who I am. I don't know who I'll become. I only know what you promise. Am I actually going to trust that? Am I going to trust that I'll still be me? That I'll be a better version of me? Where is my faith? Where is my faith? I know this. When I ask that question, or I should say when I'm asked that question, where is my faith? I don't, I won't find that answer in myself. I can't speak for you, but for me, any faith I try to generate on my own, my beliefs, my will to power, any faith I try to generate on my own, it's weak. It is inconsistent. And not surprisingly, it's very fickle. Very fickle. And any faith, okay, so I won't put my faith in myself, but I'm going to put my faith in my circumstances. Life is good, therefore God is good. Life is good, God is good. You ever done that? Any faith I try to place in my circumstances proves to be as fluctuating and therefore as fleeting. So when life's not good, God's not good? Because the weather changes, right? The weather changes. Today's a beautiful day. Today's a good day. Somebody comes, isn't it today a great day? Today's a great day. Until it's not. And when it's not a great day, what do we do? The weather changes. Storm comes. Storms come. Life happens. My friends, there is only one solid and sure answer to the question of where is my faith. It's not in who or what I have faith in. It is the one who has faith in me who gives me faith to follow and trust in him. My faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whose presence is certain and whose power is equal to every need. Who is this, the disciples ask at the end of this story. Who is this? This is the one who is powerful enough to silence the wind and the waves because he made them. This is the one who is powerful enough to heal sickness and disease because he made us. This is the one who is powerful enough to overcome death itself because he alone can conquer and reconcile all the brokenness and devastation caused by our sin. This is the one who is powerful to remake all things, to change and transform all life, including us, including me, for the better, for the best. Jesus is the one who gives us faith in his presence and power so that we will live in freedom rather than fear. So that we will move forward in confidence rather than falling backward in defeat. Now, things can get difficult if we follow Jesus. 
It will involve sacrifice. It may lead to suffering. But no matter what the situation we face in life, Jesus wants us to have the assurance that he is both with us and for us every step of the way. And that he can and he will lead us through the eye of every storm. So where is your faith? Where is your faith? We need to memorize this question. We need to memorize this question and be willing to ask it of ourselves and each other when the storms rise up in our lives. Where is our faith? What are we holding on to that we need to let go of? What are you holding on to today that you need to let go of this morning? What is one area, if it's, if it's only one, what is one area, the biggest area in your life where you are struggling to trust Jesus? Is it money? Is it your career? Is it your direction in life? Is it a relationship? What is the one area, the biggest area right now where you are struggling to trust Jesus? Where is the power of fear in your life greater than the power of Christ? Because trust is something we learn. Trust is something that grows. Trust is something that is built and strengthened as our relationship develops. Where in your life is the same disconnect that we witness with the disciples? You're in the boat. You're in the boat. You're following Jesus. You look to Jesus to save you, but functionally, you're actually amazed when Jesus shows up in your life. Where is your faith? Because, beloved, Jesus does not change the weather. Jesus doesn't change the storm. Jesus changes us. Jesus changes our fear into faith, not by taking us around the storm, but through the storm. I mean, the faith that Jesus extends to us gets real. It reveals its potential, not when we avoid or deny the unknown, the unexplainable or the uncontrollable. No, the faith Jesus extends to us demonstrates its limitless capacity to not only calm storms, but to move mountains only as we keep our eyes on Jesus instead of worrying about the weather. Exercising the faith we have been given is continually remembering, continually remembering that what Christ has already done for us what Christ has already done for us is but a foretaste of what Jesus still promises and is able to do in and through us. Because the God we meet in Jesus Christ, the God who speaks with such authority that even the winds and waves obey him, the God who climbs the hard wood of the cross and rebukes the powers of sin, chaos, evil, and death, is the same God still at work in the world calming storms rebuking the winds of violence, oppression, and injustice, calming the waves of anxiety, depression, addiction, and grief, stilling the raging waters of our guilt, shame, and regret, and subsiding the squalls of death itself with the peace and shalom of resurrection. My friends, sometimes it takes a storm for us to face our fears and anxieties. Sometimes it takes a storm to be able to hear Jesus himself speaking peace over and against the tempests that rage within us. Sometimes it takes going through a storm to realize we don't have to give in to fear. 
Sometimes it takes going through a storm to realize that we can rediscover the faith we lost, the faith we misplaced, the faith perhaps we even have forgotten by turning away from the chaos and embracing the peace, peace that only Christ can give. And my brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.